You just look around, you may see there's some missing ones, probably the ones that usually are wiggling around a lot in service. The junior campers, been praying for them. I hope they're in your prayers. Miss mine, uh, Natalie, first year at camp. I can't believe it. She goes in the teen group. I'm just going to have to end it there. It's just... Anyways, yeah, so uh, no pastor here tonight, no Brother Chip, no Lamar. You know, I think we're going to have to tell Lamar he's been replaced. Daniel's doing such a good job. It's a blessing to see him up here. He's doing great. So keep it up, Daniel. Good work filling in there. Uh, speaking of missing people, though, I got in trouble today because Alexa's out of town. She's in California visiting her family, and she's got Duke and Aaron there with her. And I was watching, we watched The Incredibles the other night and had Jack-Jack attack and all of that going on. It made me miss Duke. So I told Alexa, I miss Duke. I'm so sad I miss Duke. And, I think I miss him more than anything in the whole world. More than me? <laughs> I, it went quiet there for a second. So pray for me. Hopefully everything's all right. But uh, if you turn your uh, Bibles open to Mark, Mark chapter 4 is where our reading's going to be here. And I'm actually going to do a little uh, moving around. You can just stay in Mark 4 because I got the reading here. But uh, if you could picture with me, if I could set some groundwork with you, is if... I've been, arguing, I've been talking to some guys at work about this, and it really comes down to arguing about Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is. And, and we, we go back and forth, and, you know, Brother, um, Brother Hoyle was just here, and he had some excellent books, and I was able to go back there and pick up the one uh, talking about Christ. And, and, and you can really look at him from all, all throughout history, the history books and all that go on. There's so much to be said about him. There really... Anybody of any intellect cannot deny that Jesus Christ was a real man. Yes. Okay, so we've got that. He is a historical figure, and there's no denying that. But it goes beyond that. I mean, there's more, there's more evidence of his death, burial, and resurrection than, you know, the documents on George Washington or something like that. I mean, it's unbelievable uh, how much we hear about Christ. And, so, and there's also no denying the fact that the most influential man of all time... Jesus Christ. I mean, it's in the numbers. I'm not even saying that's not even a biased opinion. That's, that truly is a, a, a fact. The most influential man of all time is Jesus Christ. In fact, today we gather 2,000 years later in a church to hear Christ's words preached and to practice his teachings. And all throughout the world, there's millions of people reading his words and practicing his teachings. And in fact, uh, I think even now, currently, uh, if you were to look at the covers of Time magazine over the years, I think it's something like 37 times that Christ Jesus has been on the cover of Time magazine. Not that that makes you important or, 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 or a good person, because there's been a lot of bad people on there too. But uh, the, the most is Jesus Christ. And so uh, it really uh, his influential ministry is, is, is unbelievable what he did when he was here. And for that short time that he was here on earth, it was really only three years that he got into his ministry. Before that, he's a carpenter, and he's, you know, he's, he's not having a public ministry at that time. And so, you know, you, even something I was reading in that book I handed off to my coworker there was saying something about, you know, even you have the great thinkers of, of, of ancient Rome or Greece or whatever, and you have Aristotle and Socrates and, and those guys. And if you combined all of their, you know, their influence together in the years that they were working on their stuff. It was like 200-something years because, I mean, they all had many years where they're writing and on and on. And here you have Jesus Christ that was around for a three-year blip, and he just completely is at the apex of all of that. And so I wanted to take you with me tonight, and if you could picture not just in word but in mind, think of going to a place here on earth when Jesus Christ walked the earth. And his earthly ministry has already begun. And, and so that's really where we're kind of picking up is that Jesus' ministry is getting hot. And, and, and people, there wasn't social media. There wasn't television, right? So Christ is going around, and it's all by word of mouth and Jesus spreading from town to town. And there was just this ruckus. There was just this absolute excitement because can you believe it? As somebody would come to town, from, somebody from out of town would come and you'd be like, oh, you've got to hear Jesus Christ. Who's Jesus? I don't know. I don't know, but he's, he's healing people. There's lepers. I had this friend. He was sick. He went to Jesus, and now he's, he's not sick anymore. There was a blind man. He couldn't see, and I'm telling you, this wasn't fake. All right, I watched because I know this guy. He was blind. He's always sitting at the corner. Couldn't find, he was blind for years. He went to Jesus, and Jesus touched his eyes, and now he sees. I can't believe it. And so he gathered. people would gather, and, and it got to the point where it was out of control to where Jesus had it was, is 
you know, his life is being threatened because the people were thronging him, coming to him to see his ministry and what he could do. And not only what the miracles he was performing, but the, the sayings, the things that he was teaching, the wisdom was mind-baffling. They could not believe the words they were hearing. Uh, things that had never been taught before and turning the other cheek and the different parables that we see Jesus Christ teach. And so I just wanted to really briefly touch over because we don't. I want to focus, spend the right amount of time on the right things here. But for instance, uh, verse 20, Mark chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to kind of brief up on it. In verse 23, it says, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee what thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, and he came out of him. I'm telling you, there's not a scary movie you can rent from Blockbuster today or Netflix or whatever that would be more scary than witnessing a real live exorcism of a demon as the voice comes out from this man and says, I, you know, ah, you know, so I, I don't know what the voice sounded like, but it was something scary. And I'm telling you, if I was in the, in the room, the, the goosebumps would be going. I'd be like, I'm getting out of here. And Jesus cast them out just like that. The man's in his, in his right mind. See over in verse 30, it says, uh, Simon's wife's uh, mother, so his mother-in-law. And, and, and I don't know if Jesus, Simon was happy about this or not. It doesn't say in the passage here, but uh, mother-in-laws can be good. And so it says in verse 30, but Simon's wife's uh, mother lay sick of a fever. And anon they tell him of her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever lifted her, and she ministered unto them. And at even when the sun did set, they brought him unto all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And the, all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of divers' diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And the disciples here, had at this point, Jesus had called out some of his disciples, not all of them yet, and he hadn't set them up yet, but his disciples are watching this and they're following and they're seeing, here's an entire town of people with all their sicknesses and all their illnesses and all the problems are being healed by Jesus. And you can imagine how amazing that must have been. Can you imagine if, if we had been there? I mean, this, this is, we read it in a book and it's kind of, we distance ourselves from it in a sense that it's like, you know, okay, I believe that that happened. But no, really that like, if we could go back in time and watch it on video, which when I get to heaven, I'm going to watch it. I got to have a big screen in television in heaven. It's going to be a plasma. It's going to it's going to be up in the clouds, and I'm going to be panoramic all sides. And I watch this time and watch, and Jesus actually walked the earth and did and performed these miracles. And it said it got to the point where the people were were thronging him. He was it was like he had to back up because. You know, he heals in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. He heals a man sick of the palsy. And then he heals a man with a withered hand. And then if you look in uh, Mark chapter 3, uh, moving down to verse 9, it says, And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. I mean, did ever a man perform such miracles? Yes, there's, quite, there's a lot of quackery going on today. Yes, there's a lot of healing services and people falling over and claiming to be healed and, and all of this. But really, I mean, come on, let's be honest here. This, there's a lot of falsehood going on there. This is undeniable. This is, I'm talking people are coming from everywhere to see Christ and to be healed. And there's no denying this truly is the Son of God. Who can cast out demons? Who can forgive sins? Who can heal the, 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 the lame? Jesus. And so bear with me. The disciples are with Jesus this entire time. And they're on like cloud nine. This is great. Woohoo! I mean, wouldn't that be exciting? You're one of Christ's closest disciples. And, you know, he's teaching parables. And nobody understands what's going on. And he pulls them aside and says, hey, let me tell you what this means. This is for you guys to understand. They get personal teaching from Christ. They, you know, as the people came and they thronged him, can you imagine? 
I mean, you think it's, it's, it's hard to get front row seats at whatever music concert's going on. I mean, this is, this is the it thing. Christ is in town. You want to get front row seats. That's not happening. You're going to have to fight somebody for him. And people were thronging over him. And here are the disciples. They get front row seats. They get to see. They got to eyewitness each miracle that's taking place here. And so they're soaking this up. and They're seeing it. And it's exciting, man. I mean, what's, what's taking place here for the disciples and during this time is uh, Mark chapter 4, where you're at. If you look down in verse 13, I don't have time to cover the entire parable of the sower. And there's, you know, the, we know the, the, the story of the sower. You're very, probably most of you are very familiar with the parable of the sower. So I'm not going to go into depth on it. But Jesus starts teaching one of the greatest parables that he's taught. And that's the parable of the sower. And so we see that. And if you, I'm going to kind of skip into the middle of it. I'll go. I'll back up. For, okay, we'll we'll do thirteen. How about that? Verse thirteen. It says, "And he said unto uh, unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye now know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where this uh, word is sown. By excuse me, by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh." Away the word that was sown in their hearts, and these are the likewise which are sown of stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receiveth it with gladness, and have no root in them themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterwards, when affliction or persecution ariseth, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word." And the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, entering in and choking the, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And he goes on to talk about more and explain more about this parable. But what I really wanted to hone in on is, take a look here, what he says is in verse 17, And have no root in themselves, and so endure, but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. He's talking about how that when the gospel is preached and when the word goes out and Jesus is teaching and he's got a great following of people, right? And they're, they're enjoying the miracles. They're enjoying the parables. They're enjoying all of this. But what happens is that as this word is spread, there's going to be many people getting the word of God spread out and seed all around. But there's different kind of ground that's receiving it. And you go, oh, how could anybody having eyewitnessed the miracles of Christ not believe and be a continual believer to the end of time until they die. You say, if I saw the miracles, and many people say this, if I saw firsthand what they saw back then, for sure I would be a believer, and then I would be convinced if I'd seen it with my eyes. But that's not true. And we see that all throughout the Bible, that that's actually not true. It's unbelievable that actually people that I witness see Jesus performing miracles at the moment of him performing miracles, they're trying to find out a way, how will we kill this man? I mean, he, he, he healed a man. How dare he heal a man? Kill him. I mean, he, he makes a blind man see. He, he raises a man that cannot walk. And he does all these things. And they see that. And they yet, they want to kill him. How could you not go, this is God. We believe. Because there's different kind of soil. There's different kind of ground that the seed falls on. And so what Christ is teaching in this parable is he's saying that there's those that receive the word. But after, when there's affliction and persecution and hardship takes place, they flee. In fact, we saw a, a, a glimpse of that with Peter. When times really got tough and he says, no, Lord, I'm with you. I will never deny you. He's there with the sword. He cuts off the guy's ear. He's like, I'm your right hand man. And yet later we saw, see him following afar off, and then he's cursing the Lord, and the cock throw, crows three times and it smites his heart. See, we, people can be very easily, once the persecution comes, it's really when the rubber hits the road. There really is. I mean, you can say what you want to say. We'd, uh, I got uh, one of my friends here tonight, we played foot, peewee football together, or maybe not peewee, it was like middle school age or whatnot. And one of our coaches, I remember Mark Squires, he was my Sunday school teacher, and he always say, Talks cheap, save it for the field. Meaning, you can say whatever you want before the football game starts. But until we actually get out there in the trenches and helmets start cracking and shoulder pads start hitting, we'll find out what, you, what you're really made about and who's going to go crying home to mommy or who's going to keep pushing hard. And that's really what Jesus is saying here is that I got a great 
amount of followers. In fact, so many, so much so that I'm having to get on a boat and get out on the water because you guys are going to trample on me. But where are all these people going to be once persecution arrives? Where are all these people going to be once the affliction happens? And he, and he sees this and he says, there's a certain kind of soil out here that I, I'm, I'm letting you know and I'm being mindful of. So he's teaching this. But what's interesting is, as little benounced to the disciples, is that Jesus is not only going to teach this to the disciples with his mouth and with words through parables. He's, he's about to teach them through firsthand experience. And can I say... That not just for the disciples, but for us also, if you're a disciple of Christ and you're a follower of him, that each and every one of us will not just be taught lessons from God's word and here at church and what God has to say to you. And there's a lot to be learned here at church. But there are certain special lessons that God prepares for, I believe, for every believer that comes in in the form of actual actions that are taking place. And that's through persecution tribulations, afflictions. There's not a single one of us really here that's going to live a fluke life where just nothing really goes wrong. We know back in the Garden of Eden, God had originally designed that, but once sin entered into the world, it was no longer uh, a sinless world, and now that we have the repercussions of sin, and we have uh, the things that come along with that, and there's pain, and there's heartache, and there's separation from God, and there's And there's many things that we're going to face. And I believe that any follower of Christ is going to, at some point in their life, probably more than once, face some kind of difficult affliction, some kind of difficult trial. And through that, God is going to go back to his teaching, the parable of the sower. And and he's going to take this and he's going to take your soil, whether it be stony, whether it be on the wayside, whether there be thorns growing in. See, the Lord is the master gardener, and he knows how to work the soil. He knows how to aerate it and and put the fertilizer in it and get it going and and, and pull out the weeds. He's good at this, and he does this to his children. If you're a child of God, he does this. And many times, sorrowfully so, it's through affliction that he does this. In fact, i got a garden right now. I just started my first year. This is my first garden that I've done in my house. Yeah, my, my grandfather was a master gardener. He, he had a beautiful house over in Lake Washington, and the whole side of it was just all beautiful roses and all different things I can't even name. And my mom, she was really into it. My dad's still into it, and, and my mom made me over here. She likes gardening. They got flowers and all that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it, and I, you know, I build the boxes, and I put the, the, the soil in there, and I'm reading. I'm online. I'm like, I got Google, right? How much else do you need? And so I'm doing everything you're supposed to do. And no matter how much I have, I have killed all, you've seen my slug video on Facebook. I don't know. I've shot so many slugs. I've scared away so many birds. I'm not going to tell you what I do to the bunny rabbits when they come around, but uh, bunnies, bunnies are delicious. And uh, so you know, I, I've done everything I can, and, and I've, been, I've been watering it like every day, and I got like three tomatoes and like ten beets to show for it. And, oh, and some lettuce. But man, my carrots are gone. My broccoli's gone. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. It's pathetic. But I got a garden. Anyways, that's a little rabbit trail there for you. Literally, rabbit trail. Um, but God is a master gardener. He really is. And he knows how to make fruit out of us. He knows how to grow that fruit. And so, really, that's what happens to the disciples here is in Matthew, Mark chapter 4. And if you get down into verse uh, 34 is where we'll pick up the reading. It says, But without a parable spake he unto them... Oh, am I in the wrong spot here? No, no, no. Yeah, verse 34. But without a parable spake he... Not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Verse 35. And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there was also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind and the waves. Now, before we get to the wind and the waves, can we just say where the disciples are probably at in their head at this time? 
They're buzzing. I mean, they're excited. They just, they just learned some parables from the Lord. They're learning about the sower. <laughs> we know, we, we're getting some knowledge that not, not everybody else has. We've, we've been firsthand witnessing all the miracle, miraculous things of God. Wow, we're following Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's in our presence. Amazing time to be alive, and we're his chosen t- disciples. And they're, I mean, I can you imagine the conversations going back and forth? I mean, we haven't heard all of them, but we have heard some like, who's going to sit on your right hand? And they're arguing about it and stuff like that. So you imagine there's a lot of dialect that's not captured here in the scriptures. And I always like to add, you know, my extra thoughts of what the Bible might have been going on during that time. And I can just picture the disciples just had an excellent day. They're going out fishing. Hey, and they're master fishermen, so no problem. We're just going to jet over to the other side. We know this. We've sailed this area. No problem. Let's go. Jesus is in the boat. He's asleep. Onward, no problem. But then verse 37, it says, And there arose a great storm of wind, and waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they wake him and say unto him, Master, carest not thou that we perish? They're in this ship, and, and, and the winds are coming about. And I don't know what, if you know what it's like to be stuck at sea. And many of us don't have this experience. But to, be, to have tragedy in the sea is, I mean, they didn't have helicopters back then. You're, you're in trouble, right? Your boat starts going down, and you're going to die. I mean, you're not going to survive that. You will die. And there's this great storm. And as they look around in every direction... It's a storm. There's no way out. There's no land. There's wind. There's waves. And the boat is taking on water. And I'm sure they're thinking like, okay, who's going to wake Jesus? No, no, I'm not going to wake Jesus. We'll we'll get out of this. You know, let's start shoveling out the water. Let's start rowing. Let's let's try a little bit harder. And it's coming on more. It's coming on more. Oh, no. The the ship's starting to go down. Okay, Peter, you go wake Jesus. I'm not waking Jesus. He said we're going to go to the other side. No, come on. Wake him up. And finally, as they're starting to sink, they're thinking, this is it. This is it. We're going to die. This is where we're going to die. And they, wait, they run down, and Jesus is just peacefully, sound asleep, sleeping down in the hinder part of the boat. And I read about, you know, I was, gonna, I was thinking, hey, maybe, you know, Jesus was sleeping on some kind of hammock that was really, you know, so he didn't feel the wind, or that he didn't feel it. And I was going to have all these illustrations about that. But that's not true. It's actually believed that this pillow was more like a wooden bench. I keep kicking this speaker. This pillow was more like a, w- a wooden bench, or maybe it had a little bit of leather on it, but it was nothing comfortable. It was no Tempur-Pedic. It was no adjustable size. I mean, this, this was hard plank surface. I'm thinking Jesus probably should have been awake by now, naturally. But Jesus had been pe- preaching, performing miracles. And guess what? There's something that happens when you're at peace with God, because you are God, is that you sleep peacefully. <laughs> he was at peace with God. Uh, and I would, you know, I guess, yeah, I've got to stay on track here, because my mind just wanders to all kinds of silly things all the time. But, yeah, Jesus is sleeping peacefully on the boat, and they wake him. And I would imagine it was as, like, Jesus, carest not that, that, we, that we're, we're going to die? We're about to perish. Wake up. What are you doing? You're asleep. We're going to die. And it was a scary time for them. And they were questioning the Lord that why would you allow us to perish? Now, we know you've probably even heard the message preached before that where God's where God's calling is, God's provisions follow. We know that Jesus said, and it was simple. It was really simple. Let's go to the other side. He didn't say we're going to chart a course and 10 degrees south and blah, blah, blah. He just said, no, let's go to the other side. I like that. Jesus is strict and direct and right to the point. I wish we had more business meetings that way. <laughs> anyway, so Jesus said, just go to the other side. And we know that from that, we should know that they're going to make it to the other side. Jesus didn't come to you know, die at sea in a boat. He, there was a purpose. And so we, we look at it and we scoff as we say, oh, those faithless disciples, how dare they question the Lord? He said, he said, go to the other side. It was fine. But I think any of us in here, if we were on a ship, even with Jesus in the boat, might be going, Jesus, we're about to die in here. Wake up. You know, do something about this. Scary times happen. I think this is a great picture of what's happening, what happens in every Christian's life is that the, the sea arises. I mean, we're on a ship and we're going and, and there's smooth sailing and there's hard sailing. And I'm sure many of you have had those times 
where you've got the pail out and you're trying to get the water off and you're trying to keep the mast going and the, wind, the waves are crashing over and you look over and you're just thinking, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I mean, we'll keep going. I'm not going to cry panic yet, but this is over my head. I'm, I'm scared. I'm a little scared. I don't know how I'm going to balance this financial situation in my life. I don't know how I'm going to weather this storm. Maybe, I don't know what your storm is. Maybe the sudden passing of a loved one. Or maybe a broken marriage. Or maybe a, a, a child gone astray. I don't know what your storm is. But can I say that sometimes we face storms where we're really over our head. And it seems like there's no way out. And what are we going to do? And, and we get to that point where we say, well, no, we've never questioned God. But deep down comes that little whisper. God, do you care? Would you let me go through this kind of pain and suffering? Don't you see what I'm going through? Carest not thou that we perish? So I've been praying about this for a while. God put this message on my heart. And um, I've been praying about whether or not I was going to preach it for a while. And what I was going to say. But I really feel like God put this on my heart to give to you guys tonight. And so I wanted to open up and share with you guys, because you guys are my church, this is the body of Christ, and I believe uh, there's things I'd like to open up and share with you guys about. So about a year ago, even to this date right here, so we're, what is it, July 25th, 26th, somewhere in there, uh, Alexa is almost nine months pregnant, about to have baby Duke, we had just had a fire at our house. Uh, and so we were moving around. We were living in a hotel there for a while, and you know we were all on top of each other. And Alexa's pregnant, and it just it was crazy time. It was fun. It was exciting. There was all kinds of things going on. And then uh, we actually came and came out of the apartments and moved down back into the basement so that my sisters could make fun of me again that we moved back in with mom and dad. I said, but I own a house. You guys didn't own a house when you moved in, so. I'm good, but so we're living down there, and, and you know, there's some hardships, you know, like I said, there was the fire and stuff, but really overall, everything's, everything's smooth sailing, it's no big deal, and then my health starts to deteriorate, out of nowhere, I start getting, you know, I notice I'm a little bit more tired, there's a little bit more mental fog going on, kind of having a harder time processing thoughts, I don't know what's happening, but it's, it's kind of escalating, it's getting worse, and so I'm start seeing a doctor, what I'm going to do. And it's actually about the time that we went on the men's advance. And I went, was trying to make a decision whether or not I was going to go on the men's advance because I was having all kinds of things happen with my health and my processing. And I just thought, I don't know if I can go, but I'm, I'm going to go anyways. Maybe God will give me a special blessing there. And, and so I, I went and I started having these horrible panic attacks. Just out of nowhere, they weren't triggered by any thoughts or, you know, because like I said, I've pretty much always been a pretty easygoing, you know, not, I didn't even really know what anxiety was. I had to read, oh, oh, I guess I have anxiety now. Okay, that's what it is. And I, and I didn't understand it, but it was bad. I mean, panic attacks, they're, they were hitting me really hard to the point that physically my, my limbs or my fingers were tingling and my limbs and I was getting hard to, to you know, perform at work and just try and keep the job. And, and then as the anxiety started to go away, or not go away, but a little bit less to the point that I could manage, it was replaced with depression and, and despair and a sense of hopelessness. And just every day, day after day after day, worst day I've ever had. Next day, worst day I've ever had. Just this feeling of absolute, everything's just awful. And just no end in sight. Day, day by day, to week to week, to month to month, on and on, to the point I'm thinking, I'm stuck. I can't do it. I'm going back and I'm seeing my doctor and we're trying to figure this out. And, you know, finally after some time we developed, there's some chemical uh, imbalances here. And so we're going to, you know, and I went to a natural path, so I'm not trying to take a bunch of drugs. I'm trying to see what I can do to adjust my diet. And, and a lot of things happen. But I'm just saying it got worse and worse to the point where it's just like, Lord, this is, I mean, I've, I've, I've faced some hardships. You know, my, mo- my mother passed away on, on, on you know, Overnight, didn't realize that was going to happen. That was a hardship. And I've had uh, my meningitis and appendicitis, and you know, I've halfway died over here. And I've always got something crazy going on. Nothing, I didn't even know what difficult was until this had set in for me. And so I remember just getting to the, to the, to the hardest part in my absolute hardest part of my life, and I remember Duke is now born, and I'm holding him, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself as I'm crying, 
Is he ever going to be able to meet his father? You know, just the shell of a man that's left here is, is not who I am. So it was hard. And I, and I remember for the first time in my life, going, God, do you care? You know, I never thought I'd ask that question because I've never had a problem with my faith. Yeah, but I just felt like God just seemed absent from my life during this trial. And it just seemed like, God, are you, do you care that I'm, I feel like I'm perishing here to the point that I'm more scared of my future than if you were just to call me home, you know? And it was just, well, God hasn't failed me to this point yet. I'm not, I'm not going to change in a storm where I was at when things were going right. So I just keep one foot in front of the other. I'm just going to keep following you. But it sure doesn't feel good. It sure doesn't. This, 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 this is not something that's, a, you know, this is not the way I want to live my life, but okay, we'll do that. And that's, and that's really a huge storm that, that I had to go through. But in verse 39, see, that's not the end of the story, because the, the, disciples, the disciples say, Carest not thou that we perish, Lord? And in verse 39 it says, And he arose, excuse me, I'm sorry. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. I believe as the waves were crashing down, the disciples must have been looking and here comes the big wave. Uh Uh-oh. If we take on one more wave, this ship's going down. We're about to go. And Jesus, Jesus, wake up! Jesus kind of... Looks around, sees his disciples, sees the storm, and they're like, do something. And, it, and, it, and at this time, it's going, I mean, you can imagine a storm, it's really loud, there's lots of waves crashing, there's lots of wind blowing. He probably just whispered, peace be still. And it doesn't say there was a calm, it says there was a great calm. I mean, to the point that I believe, I just went fishing out with Natalie over on... Well, Cottage Lake up in Woodenville. We got there first thing in the morning. Nobody's out there. It's super quiet. We go out and there's fog and there's bald eagles coming down. You can't hear anything. And the, and the water is glass. And I can picture that's probably what the, what the sea went to. It went from absolute raging to a miraculous calm. And, and, and only the master of the sea only the creator of the universe, only Jesus Christ himself is the man that has the power to say, peace be still. And there's a great calm. See, going in my life, yes, it might have taken about seven, uh, my storm lasted a good seven, eight months. Really, like I said, hardship for seven, eight months. And even though in my storm, it wasn't an immediate peace be still, I did find peace, you see, because it was, day, it was, it was later on that um, I was upstairs and I'm reading a story to the kids. And we have this uh, Bible time story that we read to the kids, and it follows all the colorful Bible stories. It's really well written. In fact, I wish I remembered the name of it because I highly recommend, even as an adult, when I read it, the way they illustrate it, I go, oh, yeah, that's right. That's true. Like, I didn't see that before. This is a really good illustration. Anyways, and that night, it was a dark night. It was winter time, and there was a storm going that night. And the and the and the the story that we're reading is the story that we're reading here tonight, when Jesus goes out with his disciples. And I'm relating to this because I'm going through my storm, and I remember that night there was there was lightning and there was thunder and there was I mean it was perfect. I'm like God, this is great. I'm trying to tell a story to the kids, and you're adding the the you know the side effects here. So this is great, and I'm talking about and there was a storm. That was raging and I'm like, yeah, that's great. And it was at that time that in my storm, God said, I, and I was like, one of, it was finally because I'm telling you, there's times you go through your life and the times you go through storms where you just feel like God is quiet and He does that, where He's quiet and He had been quiet. And it was that night that He showed up and He said, I'm here with you in the storm. And that's all I really needed to just keep pushing. You know, God says, I am here with you in this storm. And see, Jesus Christ, when the disciples were going through the storm that they had gone through, Christ was in the boat with them. 
Right? Isn't that a comforting thought to think if you're a believer here tonight and if you have Jesus Christ in your heart, that no matter what storm you might be facing, and it differentiates in all different kinds of ways, but whatever storm it is that you're going through tonight, can I just say that Christ is bigger than your storm? Can I just say that whatever storm that is, that Christ, if he so chooses, can say, peace, be still. He can whisper the words and there will be a great calm in your life. It's a miraculous thing. And, I, and, and like I said, I felt like I didn't want to share this because, you know, it's, it's a personal story. And, and, and just so that you guys know, the answer to some questions here. And so I, I have completely, you know, I'm back to full health. And then, I've been, like I said, I've met with my doctor and some things showed up in the blood work. And they were able to figure things out. And I, I, I put my little punch in for keto diet, if you've tried it or not. But cleansing the sugars out really helped, uh, you know, with a lot of things. If you want to talk about it with me. Maybe I'll talk to you. It's not my favorite topic, okay? So, you know, and I know Alexa doesn't like a lot of questions. Heads up, tip, okay? Just saying. (laughs) You probably know that if you know Alexa. She doesn't like a lot of questions. So, but uh, where was I going with this? Let me just, oh, so yeah, dear, uh, I, I'm, I'm good now. The doctor doesn't believe this should be something that's reoccurring, which is a huge blessing because my mom did struggle with bipolar. And so I went to the doctors trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm schizophrenic, I'm bipolar. I had to like, they had to convince me, no, you're not, you're not losing your mind. You're okay. So I, I was trying to like knock down the doors of the psych ward and they're like, no, we're not letting you in. You're, you're okay. So, so uh, I'm not crazy, everything's all right, and I'm going to be okay. Thank you for your concerns. I just wanted to say that because I figured there would be some questions afterwards, so there's an answer for everybody that I am okay. And I did want to give a special thank you to you know, the prayers of the deacons here. I was able to go to the deacons, and I had pastor and them pray for me as they did in the Bible, and it was a, it was a really good time there. And then I've had some men uh, really give me a lot of support, Brother uh, Chris Woods and Brother uh, Matt Harrington. And Brother uh, Richard Miller, we're a huge blessing. They really reached out to me during that time. I just want to say thank you, guys. Uh, but, uh, you know, God's good. God is really good. And he said, peace be still. And he can do that. Matthew Henry said, When our wicked hearts are like the troubled sea which cannot rest, when our passions are unruly, let us think we hear the law of Christ, saying, Be silent, be dumb. When without our fightings and within our fears and the spirits are in, to- in our tumult, if he say, peace be still, there is a great calm all at once. Beautiful words, I think he put there. So, moving on, Pastor, we've got to get going. Here, I'm going to close up here soon, but I wanted to get into Mark, chapter, uh, Mark 440, because it's not done yet. Because then we have in verse 40, it says, And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And I always thought to myself when I read that, it's like, man, wow, Jesus has got a really high standard. Because, I mean, I'd be scared. And Jesus is like marveling. Like, how is it you guys don't have faith? You have no faith. Why do you fear? You should be okay. And I look at that, wow, man, that's, that's, that's like I said, that's a pretty high standard. But, you know, Jesus is pretty much, uh, no, he really is actually always right. So don't argue with Jesus. He's right. And so and, and, and when he says this, he's questioning, why is it that you doubt me? See, because all along they had had firsthand, like we were talking about in the beginning, here's Jesus performing all these miracles. Here's Jesus teaching all these parables, and they're seeing all of this. They see, they, they've eyewitnessed you know, people that, that were blind can now see, and lepers that are no longer leprous, and on and on. All the miracles that we talked about, they witness this firsthand, and somehow, and, and they have no doubt that Christ is, is Lord, but now they go through persecution, affliction, trial, and, and they instantly they forget it all, and they, and they, they lose their faith. See, that's, 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 that's who we can be at times. And this is, the, this is why Jesus is now teaching them the very parable of the, the sower, not with words, but with actions. He's showing them that, look, sometimes if you want to advance in your faith with him, that he's going to come and rock the boat. And, and, and I hate to preach this message. And I'm not saying there's some doom and gloom coming for you. Oh, you know, but you know, it probably is. <laughs> No, everybody's going to have their own trial. And because only in persecution can a Christian reach new levels of intimacy with Christ. 
I'm telling you right now, I found a whole new level of intimacy with God that I did not know existed until going through a child like I had gone through. And now being on the other side, I would never wish it upon me, myself or anyone else, but I am grateful to God that I was able to learn the things I learned going through my trial. And you're going through your trial right now. and you, Maybe you're in the middle of your storm and you're thinking, how could this ever be good? But God worketh all things to good for them that are called according to his purpose. That God has a way of making things right. And it's amazing when he says, peace be still. And there's a great calm in your life. And you look back and you see the storm and it's in the past. It prepares you for something far greater. Because these disciples weren't done here. See, there was coming a time Christ is now going to die and they're going to be on their own and they're going to be out preaching and there's going to be the Roman government upon their shoulders wanting to persecute them and kill them. And we can get back in the history books and read that each one of his disciples being martyred, being boiled, being burnt, being crucified, hung upside down, all kinds of different things. And as they faced that storm in their life, I believe they faced it without fear. I believe that they had gone through the storm already. They had been through the hardships. Now they had been through the storm and they could weather that. It was okay. It was, it was Paul and Silas who were not in this boat and they had gone through other things. But wasn't it them that were in the jail cell and they're singing? I mean, if you're in a jail, Roman jail cell, you're scared. I'm sorry. You're either a, you're a nut job or you're scared in a jail cell in Rome because you're going to be fed to the lions. And they're singing praises to God. I think of it this way, is it's, it's kind of like the disciples could have, in a sense, been in that very same boat going, wait till we catch the next wave, man. Look, here it comes. Woo! And they're crashing over the top. Why? Oh, aren't you scared? No, Jesus is in the boat. This is great. Let's have some fun. This is an adventure. And, you know, I'm not saying every trial and storm, let, let's make a fun adventure out of it, because that's impossible sometimes. But we can have times, we can have times where... You can't make, you know, the next payment on the mortgage or buy some food or whatever it is. And that's where we get miraculous stories like Pastor talking about when he started the church of, of the trees falling down and groceries showing up at his front door and, and funds like things like that. And it was kind of Pastor has always just been like, well, yeah, life's an adventure. We don't know how it's all going to work, but, but God makes it work. And it's exciting, it's, and that's something I learned from my mom. She always wanted to have a great adventure and go out and chase drug dealers in the Jaguar, you know, videotape them. <laughs> And, uh, you know, life can be an adventure, but when you're scared all the time and every little trial and every little hardship is like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Jesus is going, have you no faith? Don't you know that I've, I'm in charge of all this? That this storm that you're looking at here is not a, like to you, it looks like a big deal, but it's going to be OK. I'm, I kind of, you know. In the master of the sea, you know, and if I whisper it, it'll be okay. And you don't have to be always fretful and fearful as that God is there by your side. And so, do you have the, the video clip? I got a short little video clip. I think it's only just like two minutes. I wanted to play for you guys real quick. We're making good on time, I think. You're going to have to enlarge the whole screen, too, right there. We are on. Now, this, this is Natalie and I at Silverwood for the very first time. Oh, you're going to blow it up first? Natalie and I at Silverwood for the very first time. So I, this is, I don't know, a few years ago, four years ago maybe. No. This, right, sil- this is uh, the we biggest roller coaster the in the park. To the top of Gunners. It's her first big roller coaster ride. Hold on, this is the scary part, Natalie. Hold on real tight. Are you ready? Are you ready? you're thinking, wow, you're torturous, Brother David. I mean, she's, she's like, ah, you know, scared out of her mind. 
oh, that was a blast. And, and she's on that roller coaster. She's, I'm thinking, you know, at the very top, she's looking down, and she's scared out of her mind. What is she going to do? And you watch it. She's, she's reaching over, and she starts grabbing onto my arm for that sense of security, and she's got her seatbelt on her. And, and it took a little bit of time, but when she f- realized that she was really secure and everything was okay, we went through a few more drops. Hey, she had her hands up. And then the next time we went down that ride, she was, she was having a blast. Why? Because it took a while, but it, she had to kind of get her bearings and realize she was secure, that she was safe. It was okay. She was with Dad. She had the seatbelt on. It's good, right? We're having fun now. Before that, I mean, you saw the eyeballs. They said it all. <laughs> she was scared, all right? We had to make sure that, you know, no, nah, no, I'm not going to make fun of her. Anyways, so... And it's the, same, it's the same thing in our Christian walk is that when we don't have that sense of security in God, who provides all security for his believers, is that we, we lose that and, and we have that, our, our eyes are popping open moment like, oh no, what are we going to do? How am I going to make it through this? This is really, really scary. But when, when we realize that God has us and we're secure in him and he's with us and he's on our side, hey, guess what? He's on our side. And not only is he on our side, he knows the numbers of the hairs on my head. He knows the feelings that I feel. He is not, he is not removed from our infirmities. He actually he, he bore our infirmities upon him. And he knows our transgressions. He knows our hardships. He knows the sorrow that you have. He shares it with you. Jesus wept, okay? He knows what we go through. And, and, and if, if I could answer the question, Jesus, carest not thou that we perish? My answer is yes! Yes, Jesus cares. Jesus cares all, all so much so that one verse, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, sums it all up that Jesus cares. He cares for you more than you know he cares. And when we have that sense of security and we know that, then we can, woo I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent. Woo-hoo! I mean, I mean, come on, I don't know, whatever it is. But Jesus is in control, Right? And, and you can take that to whatever extreme you want to be and be a crazy Christian all for it. Amen, brother? Do it. Why? Because Peter and uh, Paul and Silas, they must have been like, these guys are weirdos. They're about to be killed, and now they're singing in the jail cell. Well, these are the same weirdos. Like, you know, these disciples very well could have been on that boat going, woohoo, riding out the storm. Why? Because Jesus is in the boat. It's going to be okay. And have that sense of security. See, there's this, there's this thing called SEAL training. Uh, and if you, everybody knows now because it's all televised and they made all these movies. But, you know, SEAL Team 6, they're the elite. And there's this, there's this book I read. Okay, we're doing good. There's this book I read uh, called Seal of God. And I forget the guy's name now. I looked at it before I go. Do you remember his name, Dad? Okay, anyways, well... This guy is just like, he wants to go through, he's this extreme guy. He wants to go through SEAL training, which is the hardest training there absolutely is. I mean, I'm telling you, like, this is the United States government organizing a way to how can we possibly get somebody as close to death as possible without killing them legally. And that's what they do for SEAL tra- training. I mean, it really is. It's like there's, you, you, you have to be born with a certain something loose in your head to make it through <laughs> SEAL training. And so as you read this, this rigorous training, and he goes, I wanted to go through the coldest time, and I wanted to go with the hardest trainers, and I wanted to go experience the worst. And he's talking about this SEAL training where they go out, and the waves are crashing over them, and the sand is grinding in their eyeballs, and it's day and night without sleep, and they're carrying these logs, and people are climbing up ropes, and a guy falls down from the rope, breaks his leg, and you would think, like, oh, no, this is terrible. Like, let's get him. The trainer's like, get him out of the way. Come on, move on. Let's go. And they're like, oh, you just broke his leg. And so, you know, and they're going through this. And he said there was a time in SEAL training. It was interesting. There was, there was, they would have, like, these bets who was going to make it further. And there was always these guys that were, like, more physically stronger and faster. And they were more your athlete. And so people looked at them like, okay, he, he's going to make it. And so it was interesting, as they would end up, they'd have a bell they would ring as they quit. They couldn't make it any, any further. And I'm telling you, I would have quit day one. This is horrible. But they, they, they would ring the bell to signal they were done. And it was just this absolute moral defeat. It was, I mean, some of these guys couldn't recover from it. Um, but it would say at times there would be a guy go forward to ring the bell, and like 20 guys would follow. 
If he's not doing it, I'm not doing it. I'm quitting. And so out of this SEAL training, I think it's something like, uh, yeah, 40,000 recruits each year into the Navy. And about half of them express an interest to join the Navy SEALs because every little boy grows up thinks, yeah, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL, an Army Ranger, or something like that. Navy SEALs aren't the only cool guys. There's some awesome Marines out there, Brother Flath. Yeah, baby. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, Marine Recon. Okay, but we're talking about Navy SEALs tonight, so I'm sorry. I apologize. I'll come up with a cool Marine story next time, all right? So, yeah, 40,000 recruits, and about half of them express an interest, in, and, and only about six of them qualify, because you have to qualify and do all that you be able to do a certain amount of push-ups, pull-ups, and run this and do that. And uh, out of that 6%, only one in four make it through the BUDS training. One in four. So, I mean, we're, we're narrowing it down to, like, there's, there's a very few select guys that make it through. But they put them through absolute, it's called Hell Week, or two weeks now. And, and the reason they called it that is you know, pretty obvious. It's as close to hell on earth as it gets. And he talks about as they advance, they get to this point where they're in this dunk take. And they would, they would go down, and they would have these oxygen masks, and they would be working at a very deep, um, not elevation, what do you call it, underneath the water? Depth. We'll go with depth. That sounds good. So in the depth of the water, right? But down there, you're, you're, it takes a while for your blood to kind of pressurize and your oxygen and all that stuff. And so you can't just surface real quick. If you do, you can get air bubbles in your, in your blood vessels and you can, you can die. And so they'd have these air tanks on and they're doing work underneath there. And they're obviously, you know, they're, they're sleep deprived and they've been yelled at and all these horrible things. But on top of that, the trainers are down there and they're trying to rip the air mask out of their mouths, out of their mouths as they're doing this. And so they were struggling to get the air mask on, and their instructions were they were not allowed to surface, and if they do, they failed. So it doesn't matter. You made it through two weeks of the worst training of your life. If you surface, you fail. And so he said, uh, the, the guy that's the, this SEAL trainer, he says, I had to come to a point that I would realize that if, if I lost my mask, I was just going to pass out. And, my, and the, what the trainers would do is they'd come back, and you, the guys would pass out underwater, and they'd give them an oxygen mask and then slowly elevate them to the top. So it was actually normal that guys would pass out from lack of oxygen under the water. And you think a scary experience, that's about it as much as it gets. That, that's, that's scary. But he said the way he got through it is that he realized that if he lost his mask, his trainers weren't going to let him die. He had a sense of security. He made it through. He had faith. He places his trust in his SEAL trainers, that he, they would get through that hardship. And so that taught him something. And it taught all these SEALs something. It brings them to close, really, really close together. And if you interview these guys, they trust each and every one of them, trust each other with their lives. And they work together as a unit. And they're like a brotherhood. And they are prepared for anything the world can throw at them, as far as physical combat, right? And, and mental toughness. I mean, they, they, they are just prepared to go through anything. And I think God says, okay, United States government, you guys are pretty good. You got your SEAL training. You're, you're training for you know, physical combat. But can I just say, I'm, I am the master trainer. And I know how to train somebody for spiritual combat. And I know how to put them through hardships. And I know how at times, though it may seem cruel, and at times where it may seem like, how could God allow this loved one to pass and allow me to go through this pain? How could God allow this hardship to arise in my life? How could God allow me to, you know, my child to, that is now astray? I mean, how could God allow this? But can I just say that God has the oxygen mask? He knows what you can handle. He knows and he's got your back. He's not out for your bad. He's out for your good. And then once you gain that sense of security, like riding the roller coaster, once you gain that security under the water, that even if I lose my oxygen mask, I know he's got me. He's not going to let me die. That you can make it through. You can make it through the training. You place your trust in your faith in Christ. See, but the thing is... The, is the thing is, 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 is we, we have all kinds of promises in the Bible. Like Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. That's a promise. We know in Psalm 53, uh, 56.3, it says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Psalm 56.11 says, In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. 
If ever a man could be scared for his life, it was David as he wrote this. We don't have time to get into that. Psalms 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, that's chastisement there. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I remember as I was going through my storm, reading that, that passage of Scripture just about every day. Blessing it is to have God's Word when you're going through it. But it is, what it is, I, I don't know, you know, I got a friend that I just, could I just say, could you please pray for him? I'm dealing with him at work, and I've just been praying for him. The Lord's really put him heavy on my heart, and we've been, he's the guy I gave the book to. I've been praying for him a lot. Um, but I said to him, I don't know, you know, he's had a hard life, and I thought, I don't know how you do it. I, I don't know how you make it through, man. I don't know how you can go through the hardships that life has to offer and not be able to to rely on God, not be able to turn to these passages of Scripture. Why? Not even how, but why? Why would you do it? Why would you not call upon the Lord who's there for you? It's a sad thing. People that, that go through all these hardships, they don't have the Lord there on their side. And says, so then, then we know this, Romans 8.35, and I'm, I'm closing here. I really am. I know I've said that a few times, but I really am now. Romans 8, 35 through 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are promises. Those, these are, these are seatbelts. These are latch-me-down seatbelts that say it's going to be okay. Hey, when the Lord says, let's pass to the other side, guess what? You're going to get to the other side. See, I, the one blip is I went, I went to uh, Everett had a, um, in their mall parking lot, they had a, a little carnival ride going on. And I can ride the big roller coasters. I'm, I get scared, but I, sign me up. But they had this one that would spin round and round as it w- went down and came up and span you know, like this. And so I'm sitting on the outside seat and they put Allie next to me. Well, what I didn't realize is that what that does is because she's so light and I'm so heavy that when it spins you around, it spins you like it spins me really around. And, and the, the buckle I had was like loose. It was like up here. There was no seatbelt. And it was up here. And the bucket, you were just pushed up against the bucket as it would spin. And I'm going on this thing. And it shoots me around like that. And I flew up like this. And I'm coming out of the seat. And I grabbed on. And I went, uh-uh. And I said, stop this. Stop this thing. I'm going to die. Screamed like a little girl. Ah! See, I can go on the panic plunge, and I can go on tremors, and I can go on, you you sign me up. As long as I know I got this, I can do it. But when I start doing this, I cannot do that. (laughs) Jesus Christ, he says, I will never fail thee nor forsake thee. He's with us, and no matter what, no matter what you go through, you got a seatbelt that no man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. No man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. These promises are true. And so in our Christian life, if we can just grasp this, if we can allow this seed to really deeply penetrate into our soil and say that even when persecution arises, that even when tribulation arises, I know that he is with me and I'm going to be okay. If you can do that, smooth sailing. I mean, not completely. It's going to be hard. But you can have a little bit of peace, right? You can know that the master of the sea is in your ship and you're going to be all right. But let me close by saying this. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you have not called upon him for salvation, you don't have this. You don't have the seatbelt. You don't have the promises. 
And you're going through this sea, and I can imagine if the disciples had gone out and they start taking on the water and the waves are crashing over, he said, go wake up Jesus, and they went down there, and he did one of those miraculous things where he's like walking on the water somewhere down the road or whatever, and they're like, where's Jesus? That would be a time where we'd be like, okay, no, now we're just dead, all right, we're done. Jesus isn't even on the boat. But thankfully, he doesn't do that. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. But can I say, if you have not called upon Christ, if you've not trusted him as your personal Lord and Savior and called him, to do that, you don't have these promises. There's only one decision that in your storm, you know what those waves are crashing around you for? They're crashing around and they're saying, hey, guess what? Jesus is right here. Let me aboard your ship. All you have to say is permission to come aboard, sir. That's all you have to do is, is cry. You say, it's simply if, the man, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Simple as that. If you believe in this account, and as we were talking in the very beginning, that Jesus is not just some fairy tale, that he's a historical figure, that he really did die, buried, was buried, and rose again, and it was, had 5,000 witnesses, and we have countless people that were willing to die and be martyred and burnt at the stake because they believe this, and to this day, we still preach that Jesus Christ is real and that he, that he is alive today and he wants to live within your heart, that if you call upon him, that a miraculous thing happens is that he he takes dwelling inside of you and now you can face whatever storm you have because you have Jesus Christ personally living in your heart. If you don't have that today, you have one thing you got to do. We're going to have an offering here if we'd, or an invitation if we'd have to go ahead and make your way up. Um, I'm going to say a word of prayer here. But I just, I would, I would strongly urge you get that nailed down tonight. What better thing to do than come forward down to an altar? Grab, you can grab me by the hand, Brother Clem, and Brother David's over here, or there's uh, Miss Farinella and Amy Gascoigne, if you're a lady, if you want to come forward. And you say, you know what, I, just, I don't think I can remember a time in my life that I've called upon Christ as my Savior. Why go another day in your ship without the master in the ship? Why go on another roll? I would not ride a roller coaster without a seatbelt. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. Ah, scream. Don't do it yourself. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the power that you have that really calmed the storm.